0: Good morning, church. Again, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, we are so incredibly thankful for your presence. I tell you every week that I love you. I was thinking this morning it would be appropriate to say I I love you because I love the way that you love. I love the way that you love one another. I love the way that you love Jesus. I love the way that you love me and my family. I love your love, I love your joy. Your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control. In other words, what I love about you is I love what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and doing through you. you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit... Dwells in you. Not not just as a not just as a theoretical or theological idea or a concept, but a present reality in your life, Who who is changing you and transforming you. That's what our new series starting today is all about, is about being filled with the Spirit. But I was thinking, in order for us to really understand what that means, does that, what does that even mean? to be filled with the Spirit, I think we have to go back to the prophets and listen to the words of the what we call the Old Testament and the promises that God made about what life in the Spirit, what life by the Spirit, what life through the Spirit was going to be like when the Messiah, when God's King came to reign, what life would be like then. And how the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing that reality to our lives. So you can look at Isaiah chapter 11 if you would like to, but I'm, I'm going to show you some of the, the pictures that Isaiah paints for us in Isaiah chapter 11. The, the message that God gives through Isaiah. And that is first that that even though the the family of Jesse, remember who Jesse's son was? David. And Jesse's family, David's family, was the, the line of kings. And even though because of Israel's rebellion and Judah's rebellion, this family line, this family tree of David would all be cut down, and Jesse's family would be just a stump. But even though that was the reality, this very dark and discouraging reality of Isaiah's day and the days that would follow, there was hope. There was hope. Because from that stump of Jesse's family would come a righteous branch, a righteous branch. And this righteous branch would be God's anointed king, The family tree wasn't gone. The line of David wasn't gone. There was going to come a descendant of David who was going to reign. And we believe, of course, because we're here, we believe that Jesus is that righteous branch. Amen? We believe that he is the one that came from the stump of Jesse's family and that God brought hope into a dark and broken world. And through Isaiah, the Lord says that when this righteous branch comes, the, the spirit of the Lord will be on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and peace and the fear of the Lord. And this righteous branch, this Messiah, this King, this descendant of David, when he rules and reigns, everything will change. Everything will change. In fact, beautiful pictures are painted for us. It it said that when the righteous branch reigns, when when he brings his peace, crazy things are going to happen like the wolf and the lamb will dwell together. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? That there will be such peace that the wolf won't act like a wolf anymore. Because that's what you would say, isn't it? If a wolf was hanging out with a lamb and wasn't eating him, you'd say, that wolf didn't act like a wolf. That's not the way wolves act. But Isaiah says there's going to be such such a peace when the Messiah reigns. There's going to be such a peace that wolves won't act like wolves anymore and lions won't act like lions anymore. Lions and fatted calves will hang out together. He says, even a nursing child will play over a cobra's hole. Wolves won't act like wolves. Lions won't act like lions. Snakes won't act like snakes. And of course, Isaiah isn't talking really about animals. He's talking about us, isn't he? And he's saying, you have the capacity to be a wolf or a lion or a snake. But when the Messiah reigns, All that's going to change. No more hurting. No more killing. No more destroying. No more going to war with each other. All that changes. All that changes. And we might look at this and say, yeah, but that hasn't hasn't come yet, even though Jesus is the righteous branch, and yes, we believe that he's reigning. Well, it may not be true in its fullest sense yet, But it should be true in the people who belong to the Messiah. His peace should already be present in his people. His peace should already be present in his people. So that even though you used to be a wolf, you used to be a lion, you used to be a snake, no more. No more. This is what Isaiah says is going to happen when the Messiah reigns. All that changes. No more hurting each other. No more violence. No more going to war against each other. No more. This peace is already supposed to be present in his people. But Isaiah says that so much is the reign of the Messiah going to change the world. He says that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth the way that the waters cover the seas. Let me ask you a question. How much of the seas are covered by water? What percentage? 100%, right? The way that the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth, which means what percent? 100%. 100% of the world will be covered by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what Isaiah says is going to happen when the Messiah reigns. Not just in Israel, but over the whole earth. His reign will change everything. Wolves won't act like wolves anymore. Lions won't act like lions anymore. Snakes won't act like snakes anymore. And the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth the way that the waters cover the seas. And, and we can look at that and we say, well, yes, that we're still waiting for that moment, aren't we? And I say, amen. And we're praying for that moment that the Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're waiting. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation the perfect peace. We're waiting for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth the way that the waters cover the sea. We're we're waiting for that, not yet. But we live in the already. There's an already aspect of this, isn't there? That when Jesus ascended to the throne, when the righteous branch began to reign, what did he do? He poured out His Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, do you remember? And 3,000 people said, I'm giving my allegiance, my loyalty, my faith to this King. He's the Messiah, he's the righteous branch. He's the son of David. He's the one who's going to bring peace, a radical, world-changing peace so that wolves don't act like wolves and lions don't act like lions and snakes don't act like snakes. And the world is changed. And the world one day will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord the way the waters cover the sea. And 3,000 people said, I believe that Jesus is the one who is fulfilling this. And then the Spirit of God was given to them as a gift. And Peter says, it's not just for y'all. It's for your children and your children's children and for all who are far off. You see, the, the Spirit of the Lord was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And everywhere the Spirit of the Lord went, the fulfillment of Isaiah 11 began to happen. People were transformed. People were changed. Wolves stopped acting like wolves. Lions stopped acting like lions. No more predator and prey, but only peace. His peace was already present in his people. And it was the Spirit of God who was changing people to live like this and act like this, to love like this. This love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control was coming from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that they just changed their mind and said, okay, you know what? I'm gonna live differently now. No, God was changing them. This river of life began at Jerusalem and it began to flow to all the edges of the world so much so that you and i have come to believe that jesus is the righteous branch and if you've been baptized into jesus then the holy spirit has come to live in you and trans this instruction in ephesians 5 we'll talk about in a moment but he tells us be filled with the spirit isn't that interesting instructions that he's giving to people who have already received the Spirit. They're the church. They've already received the Spirit, but he tells them, hey, listen, don't don't be filled with wine. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So because our theme this year is reflect and renew, I want to ask you to reflect on that. Are you? Are you filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit of God? How would you know if you are or you aren't? What are you doing to be filled with the Spirit? If this is a command, if it's an instruction, it's something that you ought to be able to, to obey, right? So how do, you, how do you do that other than being baptized? What do, what do you keep doing? What are you doing in an ongoing way to be filled with the Spirit? I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up hearing a lot of Bible classes or sermons about being filled with the Spirit. If somebody had told me, hey, Wes, be filled with the Spirit, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. We haven't taken this instruction or this promise as seriously as I think we should. Be filled with the Spirit. Good morning. Be filled with the Spirit. Are you doing that? So over the next few weeks, I want to talk about six practices, six practices that we can intentionally do, we can mindfully do to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, align ourselves so that the Holy Spirit fills our lives. Let's start there in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Ephesians 5 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, that is foolish, excessive indulgence. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot there. There's a lot there. But I think it's interesting how similar both the letters of Ephesians and Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and to the letter he wrote at Colossae or wrote to Colossae, and and there's a particular overlap between what he says here in Ephesians 5 and what he says in Colossians 3.16. Listen to Colossians 3.16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sounds pretty similar to what he says in Ephesians 5, doesn't it? But instead of saying, be filled with the Spirit, here he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, Now, that's not to say that the Word of Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Word of Christ is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Word of Christ. But these ideas are related to each other, aren't they? They're connected. The message of Jesus, the message of Jesus, of who Jesus is, that he is the righteous branch, that he is the Lord's Messiah, that he is the king, that he gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for us, that he rules and reigns as our king and as our high priest. This message This word, this truth is so closely connected to the Holy Spirit that you really can't separate them from one another. We could say it this way, when the message about Jesus becomes our whole life, when it's dwelling, this word is dwelling in us richly, when the message about Jesus becomes our whole life, then we are aligning ourselves with the Holy Spirit so that he can fill our lives. And unless unless we do this, let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, the truth about Christ dwell in us richly. Unless we let this become our whole life, then we're really not aligning ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can fill us if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then this is something that we can consciously do. We can make this decision. I will make the message of Jesus, the word of Christ, my whole life. Because if this is true, if this message is true, that the Messiah has come and that he rules and reigns and has brought the kingdom and that the peace of Christ, should be present in his people. If this is true, what else compares in importance? This should be our whole life. This should be our life. It should be the star around which our entire lives revolve. And when we let this message dwell in us, when we let it dwell in us richly, then we're aligning ourselves, like aligning the sails of a ship We're aligning ourselves so that the Spirit can fill our lives and change us and transform us. So if we're wondering, why why isn't the Spirit of God working in me the way that God promises that he will? Why isn't he transforming me the way that he says that he will? Well, one place to start, one place to start is, are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Because that's something you have to choose to do. There's all kinds of messages that we let dwell in us richly, aren't there? We let cable news dwell in us richly. We let whatever is on our social media feed dwell in us richly. We let all kinds of ideas and concepts and messages dwell in us richly. But this, this is the message, this is the word, this is the truth that changes everything. Let the truth about Jesus dwell in you richly. Now, where do we find that message? We find that message in Scripture, don't we? Every time we read it, every time we listen to it, every time we hear a sermon, every time we sit in a Bible class, every time we open the Bible for our reading and our devotional, every time we open up Scripture, this message about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus will continue to do. This message has the opportunity to dwell in us richly. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and here's what he says. This is Paul's last letter to Timothy, and he knows that he's going to die soon, that Paul is going to die soon. And so he writes this last letter of encouragement to him, and he says this, as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and from, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had heard Scripture, what we call the Old Testament, what Paul calls the sacred writings. He'd been hearing these since he was a kid. His grandmother and his mother had been reading to him and teaching him from the sacred writings. And Paul says these sacred writings are able to make a person wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We don't spend enough time on that phrase, I think. These sacred writings, the the scriptures, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible is. That's what it does. It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the point of Scripture, is to make you wise. So that when you're presented with Jesus, you say, Oh, he's the one. He's the one that all of this has been about. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that fulfills all the promises. He's the one who fulfills all of our hopes He's the one who fulfills all of our expectations even better than we imagined. Scripture makes you wise for salvation. But we have this weird way of thinking about the Bible sometimes. We think it's some kind of self-help book. Not a self-help book. We, we, We think of it primarily as a set of rules and instructions. Oh, there's some rules and instructions in it. But that's not what Scripture is. What it is, is a collection of sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All of it points to Jesus. And when you read this narrative, when you read this story beginning at Genesis, and for them, the way we arrange it, ending at Malachi, but now we have even more sacred writings from Genesis to Revelation. It makes you wise for salvation. Jesus, when he's walking along the road to Emmaus, you remember, we talked about this at Easter. He's walking along the road to Emmaus and he's talking to some of his disciples and he explains to them how all of the scriptures pointed to him. Paul, when he's writing to the churches in Galatia, he's talking about the law, the Torah, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. He's, he's talking about the, the, the books of Moses and he says the whole, the whole point of them The whole point of the Torah, the whole point of the law was to bring you to faith in Christ Jesus. But is that what you're trying to accomplish when you read Scripture? When you read Scripture, do you have this in mind? I want to be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you open up the Bible? Maybe you do a daily Bible reading. And I don't know, I'm going to be really transparent and honest. When I do my daily Bible reading, sometimes I'm just checking something off a list. I'm just trying to get through my daily Bible reading, check it off. Okay, did my Bible reading. And I forget. I forget to pray, Father, show me your son. Show me your son in the the pages of your sacred writings. Show me your son so that I have even deeper faith in Christ Jesus so that the word of Christ dwells in me richly. If if the spirit dwelling in you is connected to you having faith in Christ, having the word of Christ dwell in you richly, then every time you open the sacred writings, this should be our goal, shouldn't it? Show me Jesus so that I have a deeper faith in him. And then going on, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. The older translations say, all scripture is inspired by God, right? Inspired or breathed out by God. This is an interesting word in the Greek. It's the only time that this word appears in the Bible or anywhere else for that matter. The the first part of the word tells us this is about God, theo, like where we get theology. And then pneustos is about breath or wind or spirit. Theopneustos then would be something like God's breath. God's, God's breath. All scripture has God's breath in it. That's why inspired is a great word. Inspired, we could almost say inspirited. All scripture is inspired, it has God's breath in it. We have a, a word that's the opposite of inspired it's expire. What does expire mean? It means someone has breathed out their last breath, that they no longer have breath in them. So inspire would be the opposite of that, would be it has breath in it. And Paul says this about Scripture, that all Scripture has God's breath in it. Paul isn't telling us how it's inspired. He's just telling us that it is inspired. Peter tells us a little bit more about how it's inspired. He says these sacred writings, these Scriptures, they weren't anybody's idea that they just thought up. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is intimately involved not only in the writing of these scriptures, but in the reading of these scriptures, in the thinking on these scriptures, in the meditating on these scriptures. Paul says God's breath is in all of these scriptures. Do you think about that when you read it? when you're going through your daily Bible reading, when you're sitting in Bible class, when you're listening to someone stand up here and say, today's Bible reading will be from such and such, do you think about the fact that God's breath is in these scriptures? God's breath is in this word. This word is living and active. And its goal, the goal of scripture is to bring me to greater, deeper faith in Jesus the Messiah And by having a greater, deeper faith in Jesus the Messiah, I'm opening myself up to and aligning myself with the Holy Spirit that he may fill me, change me, and transform me. In fact, Paul goes on to say about Scripture, he says it's not only inspired or breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For teaching, that is, it teaches us what's right. Scripture teaches us what's right. Reproof, that is, Scripture teaches us where you're wrong. Where you're wrong. I mean, do we we want this? Do we want to be aligned with the Holy Spirit? Do we want the Holy Spirit to change us so that we're, we're wolves that no longer act like wolves? We're lions that no longer act like lions? That we, we have the peace of Christ present because we are his people? Do we want that? Do we have to listen to scripture because scripture is profitable for teaching us what's right and also what's wrong. What's wrong in me? There's something wrong in me. There's something that needs to change in me. There's something in me that needs to be transformed. And scripture is teaching me what that is and exposing me to it so that I can align myself with the Holy Spirit and he can do his work in me. Okay, so it's profitable for teaching and reproof for correction. So not only what's wrong in me, but how to get right. It shows me what's right. It shows me what's wrong. It shows me how to get right, how to be corrected. I don't wanna be this person that I am today, next week, or next year, or 10 years from now. I wanna be a different Wes. How about you? I I know you don't wanna be a different Wes. You wanna be a different you, don't you? You wanna be corrected, you wanna be transformed, you wanna be changed. So we have to be mindful of this as we're reading scripture, that we're not just reading to be informed, we're reading to be transformed. Listen, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That is, how to act right, how to treat people right. You don't know how to act right. I don't know how to act right. I don't know how to act justly. I'm biased. And I show favoritism. And I treat people unjustly. But Scripture, the Holy Spirit is using Scripture to train me, to train you, to train us in righteousness. How to act right. How to treat people with fairness and kindness and love. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We want that, don't we? We want to be transformed then we need to expect that when we read Scripture. That brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? What do you expect when you read Scripture? i told you before, I'll tell you again, my mom used to annoy me so much when I was a kid. She'd sit down at the breakfast table and she'd start reading the Bible to me. I'm high school, getting ready to go to class and eating my Captain Crunch, and mom would come and open the Bible and she'd start reading to me. When she opened the Bible, I expected to be annoyed. I expected to be bored. And guess what? I was. I was annoyed and I was bored. But somewhere along the line, I realized there's more to Scripture than that. There was a point in my life when I opened up the Scripture and all I I expected was to be informed, to just get some information, to, to learn a little bit more. But there's more to it than that. There's spiritual transformation if we expect it. So what is your expectation when you approach Scripture? Merely gaining information or experiencing spiritual transformation? I hope we will reflect on that. What is my expectation when I approach Scripture? Are you expecting to be bored? Because if you are, that's probably what you'll find. Are you expecting to be informed? If you are, that's probably what you'll find. But if you go to Scripture expecting what Scripture says you can expect from it, spiritual transformation, then I guarantee you that is what you'll find. Go to scripture, approach scripture, read scripture, listen to scripture, expecting spiritual transformation. Expecting that when you read this as it's meant to be read, as bringing you to saving faith in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, that as you read it that way, deepening your faith, showing you Jesus, and your life begins to revolve completely and totally and utterly around the message of Jesus. That you are aligning yourself with the Holy Spirit. And through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will teach you, and correct you, reprove you, train you, and teach you how to do every good work so that the promises of Isaiah 11, these unbelievably wonderful promises about the righteous branch and all the transformation that will come because of Jesus they will start to come true in you as you approach Scripture expecting spiritual transformation. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're ready for that transformation to begin. You've never been baptized into Jesus and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you're ready. You're ready to begin that journey with Him, that journey of learning And changing and being transformed by the power of the Spirit. Or maybe you've just wandered away and you need to come back home. Or maybe you're carrying a heavy burden and you need your brothers and sisters to surround you with love. Our shepherds would love to pray with you in the prayer room after service, or you can come forward now. As together we stand, sing this song.